Right. So uh, my talk title today is Using Electricity as a Microscope. This is how I use electron microscopy in material science. So my job title is a materials research engineer. So uh, what that means, and have thumbs up if everyone can hear me okay. Okay, good. Um, a material is basically anything you can touch or interact with. Research is to study or investigate. An engineer is a person who tries to improve a design or device. So a little bit more about me. I grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, I went to uh, college at the University of Minnesota, where I got a bachelor's of aerospace engineering. And I started working on some research, pulling on some copper crystals. So that's what's shown here. And then I did uh, decide that was fun and went on to graduate school at University of Madison, uh, Wisconsin. And I continued pulling on different things. In this case, it's a shape memory alloy. But uh, there I got a master's degree and a PhD from the university there, as well as a minor in material science. From there, I, I was able to get a postdoctorate uh, fellowship at NIST. So that's how I ended up out here in Maryland. And I've been staff at NIST since 2012, working on kind of pulling apart different metals and doing other characterization of them. And I was recently awarded a Presidential Early Career Award for Scientists and Engineers. So a number of people here, oh, uh, you get to, you know, you see sports people and other people going to the White House and celebrities, but no, uh, this is a group of uh, about 100 different scientists who were invited to the White House. So over here is me, and over here is President Obama. So, um, so what is NIST and what does it do? Uh, we're uh, an, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. It was founded over 100 years ago as the National Bureau of Standards, in part um, to kind of harmonize some interstate commerce. So uh, before NIST and other uh, federal agencies really got started, each state could set its own gallon and pound. And so you get different weights and measures as you go from state to state. And uh, in Baltimore, there was the big fire of 1904, where one of the issues was that people could not, uh, they called in fire departments from as far away as New York City, and they tried to uh, connect their hoses to the fire hydrants, and they couldn't connect. There were 400 different types of fire hydrants and uh, pipe connectors in use in the United States. So we work in kind of national metrology and measurements labs. So we work for kind of everyone to try and help measurements. So we've got sites kind of around the US. Our main one is here in Bakersburg, uh, but there's additional sites in Boulder, Colorado, in Kauai, Hawaii, uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, as well as in New York um, at Brookhaven. So what are some of the different things that people at NIST do? This is just a very uh, broad brush. One is the atomic clock. So if you would like to know what time it is, you can call up uh, or uh, reach it via the internet what the time is. And that's kept to an accuracy of about one second in 20 million years. So that's one part in 10 to the 14, or one part in 100 trillion. Um, 
this is kind of by far the most accurate measurement we can make. And this is also part of what enables GPS to work so well. Uh, knowing what time it is and how long it took that time signal to get from a satellite to you. Uh, another thing you may not have noticed, last, uh, in May of 2019, the mass of the universe changed because we redefined it. So how we turn uh, kind of a kilogram from a chunk of platinum iridium that was held in a, a vault in Paris to something that you can use to measure very small um, weights or very large ones is part of what in this uh, helped uh, in the effort to redefine in terms of electrostatics. Uh, another thing, uh, if you are kind of uh, into fire and building research, we have a national fire research laboratory where you can build a three-story building, apply forces to it, and then light it on fire and measure the loads, the heat, and all sorts of other forces uh, that are associated with it. Uh, this group also will put together uh, a demonstration of why it's important to have a wet Christmas tree if you have a live one versus a dry one. There's uh, a good video on that. And if you're interested in kind of uh, other things that NIST does, we have an intern program for high school students, and we also have an undergraduate research fellowship program that um, you know, I'd urge you to look into if that's of interest. So I'm you know, definitely in STEM, and I want to go through all the different ways I kind of use STEM on a day-to-day -day basis. I, you know, uh, as part of science, I make observations, I have a lab notebook, I try and make hypotheses, design an experiment to test that, and then I spend a lot of time writing those results up and uh, sharing. Uh, with math, I have uh, predictions that I use formulas for. This is an equation that I use a fair bit in my work. You can see it doesn't have any numbers, and uh, it's got lots of letters, and we ran out of letters, so we started using Greek letters. Um, so uh, I use math fairly heavily. Engineering, building a machine or program. This is a microscope mount that I built and designed as part of my uh, graduate work because I wanted to look in very closely at some things that were deforming. And then technology, there's a variety of different machines I used for experimenting and computers analyze the data. And the one I'm going to be talking about today is an electron microscope. So many of you have used a kind of magnifying glass or a light microscope. There you'll have a sample or something that you're going to look at. You'll uh, take some light and bounce that off your sample. That light will go through a lens and then it'll go to you. So this works out pretty well. You've used this probably with little magnifying glasses and other things. But the limitation is the smallest thing you can see is about the size of the wavelength of light. So that's about 50 about 500 to 250 nanometers. So to give you a size scale of what a nanometer is, so in gym class, if you've had to run around the track, that's about 400 meters. So if you go around the track two and a half times, that's a kilometer. A millimeter is a million times smaller than a kilometer. So imagine walking around that track, comparing that to a millimeter, that's a million times smaller. Now, if we want to go to a nanometer, we've got to go a million times smaller than a millimeter. That's the size of it. 
So how do we look at things that are even smaller? Well, this is where the electron microscope comes in. So here's a image of one. You'll put your sample in the microscope. And what works out here is that the wavelength of an electron is 2.5 picometers, or two and a half thousandths of a nanometer, which is almost a hundred times smaller than what you could get with visible light. So here we use electricity as generated up here. And then we use magnets and things to pull the electrons and shape them and look at the sample. Now the downside here is that magnets do not make as good of lenses as the glass ones. So the smallest features are limited by uh, your ability to shape the, shape the light with magnets. So it's about a tenth of a nanometer, but you can still see individual atoms with some of the best uh, electron microscopes. And then from there, we record uh, some of the electrons that get bounced off on a computer. So here's an image of, that I took using a scanning electron microscope. You can see the magnification is 5,000x. Usually the best light can do is about 1,000. And then this is a scale bar. This says this is five microns. So for reference, your hair, the width of a hair is about 50 microns. So this is a tenth of the size of your hair. So if we were to look at this with an optical microscope, this is what you'd see. It would be about this blurry. But um, this is the advantage of using the electron microscope. You can see all of this detail. So what are we really looking at here? So let's kind of step out in magnification. Still kind of hard to tell, but if we step out enough, this is a ladybug. So you can see off to the side, this is the eye of the ladybug. This is the mouth and kind of the nose. And um, you, know, you can use this to look very closely at a lot of interesting things. So as you kind of step out in magnification, this is about now 20X. This is two millimeters, and this is about the magnification you can get with a good magnifying glass. I unfortunately do not get to look at bugs all day. Um, I got this as a, a kind of good example for uh, one of my daughters at school to explain uh, microscope. But what I do a lot of work in is polycrystalline materials and often metals. So what I've got here are four different aluminum castings. So what that is, is I take liquid aluminum and I pour it into the cylinder. And then I've, uh, someone's etched this, poured, this, poured some acid on it so we can see the different grains. And what a grain is, it's a place where the atoms line up in kind of a slightly different direction. They line up in the same way, but it's just a little different direction. What you can see from this is that the outside of this uh, cylinder was cold. And so the grains kind of grew from the inside out. But here, we got some grains to grow a little bit more in the middle. And we added some more little things that would help the grains grow a bit more. And so we added enough things that the grains grew immediately and really tiny. So how, you, how these grains are shaped and kind of the crystal orientation is influenced by how you did this process and by the composition. So you uh, can do your own casting experiment every time you make an ice cube. So you're pouring liquid water in, putting it in the freezer, chilling it, and you can probably see similar structures like this as uh, the ice, ice you know, freezer. 
So how I use an electron microscope with this is if I want to see something really, um, in really fine detail, this is again a scale bar, or uh, this is now a hundred nanometers or one mic, I mean a thousand nanometers or one micron. And these are two different battery materials. Now it's actually the same material, it's just grown in different ways. And what you'll notice, this top one has all sorts of little triangles on it, and this one has all sorts of little squares. So one of the questions we had was, what's going on with this? How are we getting these different triangles versus squares? And it had to do what kind of base we tried to grow this on. So here we were growing uh, kind of on one crystal shape. I'll switch to this other video because I've got a really neat uh, explanation for this. So this is a cube, but if you cut the corner of a cube, you'll get little triangles. Whereas if you see this on just a normal cube face, it'll grow as a square. And that's what happened with this material. Here we were growing it on that surface that made triangles. Here we were growing it on the surface that made squares. And so these uh, battery materials would behave differently because of the shape of that surface. So another thing I've done beyond kind of understanding patterns in new battery materials, uh, a number of you have heard of additive manufacturing or the 3D printing. In addition to doing this out of plastic, you can also make things out of metal using this technique. And so here, what I've got is a color where I'm showing how that crystal is facing. You know, this would be that same uh, corner that you saw with the batteries. This would be that same square. And you can see that this is an image of um, of the surface of one of those 3D printed things. And you can see that you may see those lines as the printer goes up and down, melting the metal. So that's another part of what I use an electron microscope for to tell me how the different grains are oriented. So I imagine most of you don't have electron microscopes at home, but there's still a lot of things that you can do and see around in your neighborhood. So here are some quartz crystals you may have. How do these grow? Um, you know, are what you're seeing single crystals or are they polycrystals? These are, this is the zinc coating on galvanized steel that you'll often see on railings or um, on the side of the road to keep cars uh, away from pedestrians. Each of those different colors is a different grain that's grown over time. And then with a magnifying glass, you can also look in at table salt. So you can look at this and try and guess, you know, what kind of crystal structure looks like that. Um, does the shape tell you something about its history? You know, what hypothesis can you make? I have a few other little crystals here that I'll show quick. So this is that, uh, this is a quartz crystal where you can see the different facets and faces and think about, okay, how did this grow? You can see it's kind of got a hexagon shape. Maybe that's the crystal structure. Here's a piece of mica. It comes in very thin layers that you can actually peel apart by hand. This is a kind of iron sulfide or pyrite crystal that grew. And then this is calcite. You can see it kind of has a little, almost like trapezoidal shape. That, um, maybe that's the crystal structure, maybe not. Good things to kind of explore and think about.
So with that, um, that's kind of what I've got for presentation. I'm happy to take any questions or things that people have. Thank you so much for that presentation. If anyone has any questions, be that uh, write them in the <laughs> chat and we'll say it for you. But until then, we have a question too. I was wondering, how do the crystals that are on the rail form those zinc crystals? So how do they form or how does the zinc get there in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Probably both. both. <laughs> yeah. All right. So if you ever have like just a plain steel um, something, if you set that out and water gets on it, it'll start to rust. So what the zinc does is that the zinc corrodes or makes an oxide layer uh, that's poured on or uh, often hot dipped. They'll dip the metal sheet into liquid zinc and coat the surface of steel with zinc. Now zinc is, has a pretty low melting temperature. So in the heat of the day and over time, those crystals will actually kind of move and rotate and grow together. So you can see this, if you ever see kind of, um, if there's uh, something that gets placed down new, you'll see the grains are very small and fine, but if you watch it over time, they'll start to grow and change. So did that answer your question? Yeah, thank you so much. That's really interesting. I have a question myself. I was wondering for the electron microscopes, how do the magnets work to like to help see the image? So one thing to remember is that electricity and magnetism are kind of coupled together. So you get electricity by spinning a magnet. So that's uh, that's one way of generating electricity. If you have like a bar magnet and a loop of wire, if you pass the bar magnet through the loop of wire, you can actually generate electricity. And that's part of what motors do. They move around at 60 hertz, like the electrical signal, and they move electricity that way. But you can also then use a magnet to shove electrons around. Electrons have a specific um, kind of spin and direction they want to be in a magnetic field. And if you apply a high enough magnetic field, you'll actually get the uh, particles to kind of curl off. There's some fairly famous experiments. Um, I think it's called a bubble generator where uh, they, they did some of these experiments with a big magnetic field and then measure how far a particle got deflected. So they'd fling electrons in and um, uh, protons in and uh, anti-protons in, and that was how they measured how massive those were, because the mass uh, affected the you know how much they were deflected, as well as kind of what charge they had. If they were negatively or positively charged. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. That was, yeah, that's very interesting. Motor thing. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving a presentation as well. Mm -hmm. It was very enjoyable. So I'm guessing that'll be all for today. Thank you all for joining us. 
We hope everyone has a great day. Have a good afternoon. Bye. Thank you so much for presenting. Yep. Bye. Have a good day.